Good morning. It is um, very, very nice to be with all of you this morning. I have had a wonderful time. This weekend in Cookville, it's given me a chance to have a break before school begins on Wednesday, before our official soccer seasons begin. If you don't know it yet, I'm a teacher, a soccer coach. I'm a very proud husband and parent and a resident of the greatest commonwealth. I bet that'll be a lot better. It was green when I stood up here. Can you all hear me okay? No? I didn't think you could. I'm pretty loud, but I'm not that loud. All right. It goes to flashing red right after green, whoever is in charge of that. That's what I figured. Does that mean I have to stand there now, don't I? All right, I'm just going to say it right now. I'm not a big fan. Y'all have impressed me up to this point. So I'm going to take this off. I'm going to stand right here. And I'm going to feel confined behind this giant four-foot block of wood. But it'll be okay. So I'm really happy to be here with you all this weekend. If you did not hear, I am a, oh, ask and you shall find. I promise I'll be okay. All right. So I'm a teacher. I'm a soccer coach. I am a very proud father and even prouder husband. I'm also grateful to be the son of Gary and Charlotte Mathis, people who no longer live in this world, but left me with a great heritage to uphold. I am grateful to have served for the last 20 years as a minister in the Lord's Church, spending time with young people, with parents, with those who are not as young as they'd like to be. I'm grateful that God has blessed me with 42 and a half years, and I pray that if it's his will, I get 42 and a half years to follow that are as equally a blessing to me and I hope a blessing to the people that are in my life. Today I am thankful that we get to talk about something that's important to me and important to you, our children. Our children that are young enough to not quite yet know we're talking about them, our children who have grown to become teenagers and quite frankly wish we'd talk about them a little less. Every time my daughter goes with me or my son goes with me and I'm somewhere speaking in the car before we leave, you know what they say? Don't talk about us tonight, Dad. But I'd like to tell you, my Molly and my Max and my Maggie are the most valuable things to me in this world. They are made in my image and I long that as they grow older that they look a lot less like me And look a whole lot more like their Heavenly Father. All right. I'm back to being impressed again. Most places would just say, stand behind the podium. I want you to do me a favor. However it is you are using your Bible today. If it's on your phone, if it's in your leather-bound hand, turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Go ahead and mark your ribbons and just stay there. We're going to spend a few verses talking about what is my second favorite Old Testament story. And if you invite me back one day, I'll tell you why Job is my favorite. But Nehemiah, a story of a man who was a steward. 
a man who was given a responsibility that was not originally his. But when no one else would do it, he raised his hand and he shed tears and he cried out loud and prayed to God and God said, I need a man like you. In Nehemiah, we meet a person who, as he's building a wall, is also building a people. And in our world today, my friends, parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, coaches, teachers, youth group volunteers, camp counselors, nursery attendants, you are all stewards of the children who sit here in these pews and sit in the seats that occupy your life. You are to care for someone that is not inherently yours. You are to provide for someone who is not always going to be your responsibility and is never only your responsibility. And you are given the same challenge Nehemiah was given. Something's broken. How do we fix it? For hours, we could talk about what's broken in our world. We can talk about sin. We can talk about shame. We can talk about self, self, selfishness. We can talk about all the degradation you want. But you know what? We don't need to. We just need to say the obvious. The world's broken. But you know what? It's not any more broken now than it was 20 years ago or 40 years ago or 1,000 years ago. The world has always been broken. Adam and Eve, the very first people in this world, lied, lied when God spoke to them directly. Now, how do we ever, ever run from how broken that was in the beginning and say that we are not that broken still today? We're still lying to God. We're lying to ourselves. We're lying to the world around us. And we're saying, you know what? Someone else is to blame. No, my friends. We're to blame for the brokenness. But we're not any more responsible than the generation was before us and the generation will be that follows us. Humanity is broken. And God is the answer to fix it. That might seem just so obvious that you've heard it said in this pulpit, you've heard it said in classrooms, you've read a thousand blog posts. I get it. What I don't see is a lot of people volunteering to fix it. You know, social media was invented to be an echo chamber of complainers. And if you know a complainer, then you know sometimes they don't make life very pleasant. And if you don't know a complainer, let me give you a hint. You probably are that person. But you know, you meet a complainer and you realize that life's never as bad as they really think. You ever go on social media and you find yourself in a bad mood five minutes later? Yeah. I might encourage you to, if Jesus told us to fast, if you don't fast from food, fast from technology for a few hours every day, if not every week, if not every moment possible. Because it teaches you what's broken, but it very rarely offers you a solution to fix it. Nehemiah shows us that broken people and broken fences can be mended, but they only are mended when we take the time to ask, how are they fixed? Who wants them fixed? And what are we fixing them for? So Nehemiah 4. Let's look at a few verses. Let's really start right around verse 13. Before we, we dig into these passages, can I, can I just give you a historical survey if you're not sure who Nehemiah is? He was a slave 
born in the kingdom of Persia, and he rose in his service in Persia to be the cupbearer to the most powerful man in the world at the time. He wasn't from Persia, but that's where he had lived, and that's where he had grown, and that's all he knew. But he had heard stories. I know it. I can't tell you who told him the stories. I can't tell you when they told him. But he had heard stories of the kingdom of Israel, of its glory and its majesty from those who had seen it but were taken away from it. And he knew that there were some of his brothers, his Israelite brothers and sisters, there in Jerusalem right now struggling because one of his brothers came and told him. He said, the walls are broken down. The gates are in disrepair. And the land of our fathers is broken. When Nehemiah heard it, he cries out to God. And in the seventh verse of the first chapter, he professes to be a part of the problem. We messed up, God. We broke the covenant. We sinned against you. Me and my family broke what you built. Now, Nehemiah had never stepped foot in Jerusalem. Nehemiah was not the one who Jeremiah was crying out to, saying, repent, there's still time. Nebuchadnezzar is on his way, but if you'll stop, if you'll repent, God can and God will save us. Nehemiah, for everything we can tell, was not a sinner who had ever worshipped idols. Was not a, a blasphemous man who turned his back on God. To the contrary, he seems to be everything we wanted them to be. Yet he says, we, we broke it. And he took responsibility. And he prays, if you'll give me the chance, I'll help fix it. Through God's will, through God's providence, through God's divine direction in this world, Nehemiah makes his way to Jerusalem. And he gets there as the governor with the authority of the king with letter in his hand to provide supplies and protection. And as he gets there, he surveys what's broken. And he puts in his heart a plan to build it, to fix what should have never been torn down and to repair what seemed unrepairable. And he challenged the brothers and sisters and the young and the old, the eager and the hesitant, to rise up and build. And they did. They saw the challenge that you and I see today. They saw the problems that we can talk about all day long. They saw that someone needs to stand up and fix. And they said, we'll be the ones to do it. So today I'm going to challenge you to be the ones to help us fix what's broken. To take ownership as Nehemiah and his compatriots did when they saw what everyone was complaining about and no one had the time to find a solution for. And as they stood up and they said the solution can be found through our faith in God and in our work together, they built the walls that should have never been broken. And I'm going to challenge you to build the walls that are broken here. To look all around our community and our society and our worlds and say, we broke it. Now with God's help, we'll fix it. Now we go to chapter 4. After they start, some people who stand to lose everything if the walls are built, poke 
and prod, make life complicated and difficult for Nehemiah and his friends. And so he starts in verse 13. And it says there, and this is a first-person account, so he's telling us what he did. He says, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings where it would have been easy for the enemy to attack. I set the people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and I arose and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the people in positions of power and authority. I said also to the rest of the people, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord, who is both great and awesome, and fight. Fight for your brothers, your sisters, for your sons and your daughters. Fight for your wives and fight for your house. Why? Because they are worth fighting for. Because there is truly nothing that should ever cause you to run when the defense of what matters to you the most is needed. Because this is worth fighting for. Ancient Jerusalem was not just a pile of bricks. It was a promise of God's faithfulness. It's the same mountain where Abraham offered Isaac. It's the same mountain where David conquered, I believe it was the Jebusites. Forgive me, I didn't look that up, but I think it was the Jebusites. It's the town where, as the temple was built, God's presence dwelt among his children, where they offered sacrifices for generation after generation, and father taught son, mother taught daughter, grandfather taught grandchild, that you give back to God because everything comes from him. And you don't give begrudgingly, you give because you can. It's not just a pile of bricks. It's an outward symbol that God has kept his promise forever. His promise to be with us and his promise also to forsake us if we forget to be with him. And as much as it was built to be the glory of God's children, it was destroyed to be the glory of God's will and God's truth. And as Nebuchadnezzar launched boulder after boulder, and as he tore down brick from brick, it pained God to watch. You know it did. You know that as he watched it, whatever feeling Jesus felt at the tomb of Lazarus, the same feeling God our Father felt then, that the inevitable had to happen so that he could be proven to have been not just truthful, but the redeemer of those who lose their way. As the bricks fell, they fell so they could be rebuilt. Everyone Nebuchadnezzar tore down, Nehemiah would put back in place. Everyone Nebuchadnezzar saw destroyed, Nehemiah would see rebuilt. And every child that was taken with no future, Nehemiah restored a child to a, a promising future. For Nehemiah is the caretaker of that generation just like you and I are the caretaker of this one. And if we live in a world that's broken, as Nehemiah did, we have a responsibility to fix what those who came before us broke. I I cannot and I will not say that our parents and our grandparents built the world we live in, but they did build the world that became the world we live in. And one of the reasons why we struggle to match the heights of what our grandparents and our parents did is because we forget what they built this world on. 
We forget the principles of honesty and righteousness. We forget the principles of selflessness. Of the good that benefits all of us outside of the good that just benefits me. We forget. But now, the reality of fixing what we have forgotten is taking ownership in its destruction. We messed up. Just admit it. We took for granted things that we should not have. The kindness and decency and honesty would always be the ways of where we live and what we do. We let it slowly creep in, idolatry of the world. We saw in our communities where we had once entrusted not just children, but the innocent, a lack of decency and innocence. We watched it happen. We are all culpable to a point. We welcomed it into our home with the advent of cable TV and the internet. We gave access to our children, sometimes without any filter, stuff that they should never be exposed to. And we watched as the bricks crumbled around us. It's not too late, though. They're not totally fallen, and Nebuchadnezzar has not knocked on our door yet. But if Jeremiah the prophet were here today, through his tears, he'd cry out and he'd say, Don't give up, it's not too late. There's time. Fix what's broken. Mend what was ripped. Rebuild where what was holy has fallen. Back to Nehemiah. Listen to the words starting in verse 15. It happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall. When they discovered that we were up for the challenge, when our enemies discovered that we weren't backing down, we weren't pushovers, when they saw us step up for what was right and true and just, when they saw us fight back, their heart fell within them. Verse 16, from that time on, half of the servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah, the soldiers and the builders. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction, with the other hand they held a weapon. Every one of the builders, from those that were the top, those to the bottom, of great strength, of great age, whatever it was, had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So I said to the nobles, I said to the rulers, to the rest of the people, the work is great, and I say to you today, our work is great that lies in front of us. There were a lot of children up here, and young adults. Is that better? Young adults, I don't want to call you children. There's a lot of work ahead. There are a lot of children and young adults at Three Forks. There are about 500 students at FCA that every single day we think, what does their world look like? How can we make their world better? There are three children in my home right now that I pray for every day. That I am constantly asking the question, how do I protect them with one hand and build with the other? Listen to what he goes on to say. While the work is great, we are separated far from one another on the wall. 
when you hear the sound of the trumpet, when you hear the cry of need, when someone says, I don't know what to do, when someone says, I'm outnumbered, I'm overwhelmed, when someone says, I need your help, rally to us there. I find something unique there when he says rally to us there. I believe that's because who was the first person at the sound of the trumpet to be there to fight? Nehemiah. I think he went every time he heard, rally to us there, or I will be there to fight. I need you to follow. Why would they rally? Why would they fight? Why would they be there? Because not only is the work great, but those who want to stop the work are great also. And they're going to be annoying and they're going to be a nuisance, but we can defend them. He says, when you rally to us, our God will fight for us. And I'm pretty sure you can quote me on this. The New Testament says, when God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 31, or forgive me, verse 21 says, We labored in the work. Half the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. What does this work look like? Well, the work looks like something you and I can do. Today you have this great challenge to think about your heritage, think about your future, to think about the next generation. So here's the real nuts and bolts of all of it. That generation is in your hands, but you don't own them. They are your, your responsibility, but they will make their own decisions. You have, as the steward of their life, 18 short years, and sometimes less than that, depending on when you get to be a part of their life, to instill in them a work ethic that is grounded with humility and holiness. A work ethic that seeks out the interests of others before it seeks out its own interests. A work ethic that is defined by the very work of our Savior who said, I came to seek and save the lost, to be a servant and not to be served. The work ethic of our God who every day at creation made this world and said it was good and when he made us says it's very good. A work ethic that builds what the world cannot break. Now what I'm grateful for is that the blueprints were laid by our Heavenly Father Himself when Jesus said, the kingdom is at hand. That the apostles and the inspired authors and teachers in that first century, that they went about, and I'll be real honest with you, they did the heavy work. They put the boulders that surround that cornerstone in place. And every generation after every generation that has followed has built a new level on top of the wall that keeps us separated from the world. But the world every now and then comes along and it chips. It chips and it chips away. Sometimes the, the, the storms and the rain, they, they beat it at it and it feels like the wall's going to collapse. And you know, if we're not careful, maybe one day we will find ourselves in Nehemiah's circumstance where, you know what? Our kingdom, its walls face the same destruction that Nehemiah's did. But if we keep working to build, we never forget our responsibility. And I think it's possible that the only brokenness we really will encounter will be the world's brokenness. It will not be our kingdom's brokenness. 
Flesh and blood strive against the kingdom of God, and it is still here. For 2,000 years, people have tried to shut up the words of the Bible, the voice of Christians, and we are still here. For 2,000 years, they have tried to undermine the teachings of Christ. They've undermined the teachings of righteous fathers and mothers and grandparents. They've done everything they can to break our will and to submit us. And what have we done? We have rallied to one another and we have fought alongside of our building. So yeah, the world is broken. God's kingdom is not. And so the challenge that I issue you today is simple. Maintain the wall that you keep your children behind. The walls of your homes and the walls of this congregation and the walls of the church wherever it is. Build and build and build and when it's time, pull out your sword and fight until you cannot pick your hand up anymore. There's a there's, there's stories of warfare often that you can read about, and I don't know how much you would think about it, but I'm never amazed at the stories of men who would you know, be grasping a sword and they'd be grasping it so tight that their hand would be stuck. Or that they would be holding on, on to, to, to weapons and their hands would be in that position. Because it had, it had, it had been such a, a requirement of them that they went so beyond what was expected of any normal soldier that they had nothing left to give. Fight until you have nothing left to give for the generation that you've been entrusted with. Build until your arms and your legs and your muscles are so weary that you fall, you, 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 you just fall to the ground from exhaustion. Because you are stewards of that next generation. And what we can do as stewards of this generation is teach them what it means to be a steward of the generation they'll be entrusted with one day. Because all of us are here because someone, someone was a steward of our life. Moms, dads, grandparents, Bible class teachers. I'm here because of men like Harold Nix and David Hamilton. Men like Dustin Welch, Gene Gill and Jack Ray. I'm here because of people that you don't know. But if I'm a blessing to you, it's because they're a blessing to me first. My children one day will be off. And someone will say, is your dad that loud mouth? Yeah. I know him. And he knows me. We went on mission trips together. We went to church camp together. We were in college together. We were workers in the kingdom together. I love the story of Nehemiah because of how much it looks like our life. We live in a world, my friends, where if we're not careful, sin will break us. And it will tear down every holy and faithful sign of God's presence in our life. Thankfully, it will never be too late for us to admit, I was wrong, I want to rebuild. But there's a truth to the fact that not all of us Our walls are totally torn down. Pick up your sword and go fight for those that need help rebuilding. The church is full of fighters and builders. You don't all have to hold a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other, but there has to be a sword and a shovel in every weak spot.
So maybe you'll be the builder, the encourager. Maybe you'll be the leader. Maybe you'll be the Nehemiah of this generation. If you're none of them and all you are is someone who holds a sword and fights with all your might, amen, fight to the very end. Children are a heritage of the Lord. They speak to our blessings now, and my friends, they are our blessings tomorrow. And you live on in this world because of the heritage you leave in them. Nehemiah was born into a world where his father's heritage was one of brokenness. But he left the world for those who would have been the age of his children. He left their world in a place where God, God's people, God's town, and God's kingdom had been rebuilt. And Nehemiah's story shows me That the more you rebuild things, oftentimes the more you rebuild people. I really believe in challenges. So I'm going to leave you with this one today. You were born into a generation where those who came before you invested. You're born into a generation where the walls were firm. You were born into a generation where the stewards left it better than they found it. Now own the responsibility of doing the same. For all of the children and the young adults who are up here one day will be sitting in your spot with their children in a very short time. And it will be your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren that sit up here in their cute little matching dresses with their awkward little preteen smile hiding back the braces. And then they're no longer your responsibility. But they are the responsibility of the generation you were the steward of. What heritage do you leave to God is the heritage you leave in your children. And in your children's children. And in your children's children's children. And may one day you be able to say, as I can today, I stand before you because of the faith of a man named Stanley Riley, who in 1935 became a Christian who raised his family in the Bowling Green, Kentucky area, and I was his great-grandson. And I'm here today because he believed and he made sure that his family knew why. And then my great-grandmother and my grandmother and my mother and me, and today his great-great-granddaughter, who he will never know and she will never know him, is his sister in Christ. That is a heritage that is built and fought for. The challenge today is simple. If you're not building and you're not fighting, you're not leaving a heritage. Be builders, be fighters. My friends, leave the rest up to God. For when we build and we fight, who's there with us? He is. And no one else, no one else beats him. In just a moment, I know we'll be led an invitation song. And I just want to issue this last final plea. If you are not building and you are not fighting, you are not leaving a heritage. Find a hole or a wall or a spot that needs to be rebuilt. Find a person who needs to be defended and go do it.
you'll be the next Nehemiah. And they'll be the next generation that knows not a broken wall. They'll be the generation that knows a restored kingdom. If that can be what we do today, my friends, you'll change Cookville. One person and one family at a time. And if you do that, you know what? It'll make it to me in Bowling Green. And if I can do it in Bowling Green and you can do it in Cookville, maybe it can make it across the state of Tennessee and the great commonwealth of Kentucky. And if it can get across those two, can it get across the entire nation? If it can get across the entire nation, can it make it across the entire world? And all of that can start because we decide today we will not let fall into disrepair God's kingdom and we will not let God's enemies think they are stronger. The heritage you have is what you build and what you defend. Fight, fight, fight. Build, build, build. Today, if you're not doing that, let's fix that. If you're here today and you know it's time to become a Christian, the water's prepared always. If you're not sure what it means to become a Christian, I know Andy, I, I, I know Evan, I know there are probably dozens of people here who are ready to teach you about God's Word. And if you are a Christian and you have let him down and you have let yourself down, I know there's a way to publicly respond, to find forgiveness, and privately to find it as well. Don't miss this opportunity right now. If you haven't been building, you haven't been fighting to start rebuilding your own faith and start fighting for your own future. If we can help, let us while we stand and sing this song.